Now, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the things that we've said is that Matthew tends to to focus in on the teachings of Jesus, so uh, it'll give a, a much more expanded teaching. But when it comes to some of the details, it just you know he just kind of writes, "Here's what happened," and, and moves on. Where the other gospel writers will take some of the things that happen and they expand on those things. So today we're going to look at something that is told in Matthew and Mark, but Mark expands on it so much more. We're going to look at something today that the Bible speaks about literally from cover to cover. But it's something that because one side of the church has taken and at times gone way out of balance, they become somewhat weird in it, the other side of the church, which would be us, we don't talk about it at all. So one side goes too far and then the other side doesn't go far enough. So hopefully today we'll, we'll be able to bring some balance. So, um, and, and, and I would also say that, that what we're going to talk about today, many people consider to be one of the most important aspects of living out our faith. And so it's going to be vitally important for us today. So to understand what we're going to talk about today, we have to think like ancient Hebrews. You know, in, in uh, the Old Testament, and we would agree today, the Hebrews believed that everything came into existence because of words. That is, that God spoke, and it was. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the Hebrews and we believe that everything came into existence because God spoke it into existence. So because we are created in the image of God, the Hebrews believed that as God spoke things into existence, that words were very, very powerful. So much so that Paul would say it like this. He would say, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, I've underlined that word framed, by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That is that God spoke them into existence. So when I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor, uh, George Kufelt, Dr. Kufelt, he would very graphically say that to the ancient Hebrews when they spoke, as the words went out, they would view them as containers going out. And they were things and they were creative. So as the word went out, it began to have an effect on the future, the surroundings, and things like that. So again, because we are created in the image of God, as God spoke it into existence, it was held that our words are very, very important. That our words were literally framing our lives, framing our future. The spoken word was considered so powerful that in the book of Proverbs, which we would refer to as the book of wisdom, it would be said like this. It would be said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That the words that we have can bring death or they can bring life. This ministry, as we're coming up on 21 years of being here, this ministry has been uh, largely founded, uh, or God's used words to continue this ministry going on and continue this, this ministry growing. But would you agree, because death and life are in the power of the tongue, that I could come up here and in 30 seconds with words that I could let come out of my mouth, I could absolutely destroy this ministry my marriage, my family, and everything that, that uh, we've so worked for for the past 20 years. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. So God, so much so that God would tell the priests in the Old Testament that 
Words are powerful, so when you speak to the people, make sure that you are speaking words of blessing to the people. So much so there on your outline, it says, God is saying, he says, now the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons that they are to give this special blessing, and underline that, to the people of Israel. And here's what they're to say, may the Lord bless you, or may the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you, show his favor, and give you his peace. And then he goes on to say, this is how, and I want you to underline that word, how, Aaron and his sons shall call down my blessings upon the people of Israel, and I myself, God says, will personally bless them. God says to the priest, he says, listen, you speak the blessing. You speak the blessing, and as you speak it, he says, I will then bring that blessing down. You call it down, and I will bless the people because you spoke it. So they were to speak blessing. You ever been in an environment, a church environment, where you thought, the pastor should really read that? Um, It's, you know, uh, my hope and prayer is that as you come to Calvary, that you always experience that you're receiving the blessing of God, that you're, you're experiencing the, the encouragement that comes from God. He wants to encourage his people. So we teach, but we always want to do it with a great deal of grace, a great deal of encouragement. So our hope and prayer is that that's what you experience. There was so much emphasis placed on the spoken word that when you, if you were Hebrew, you would grow up, your parents, your, your father specifically, would speak the blessing over you. And when they would speak the blessing over you, they believed that what they said would begin to frame your future. And uh, you can see stories of this, the blessing that was given to Jacob and, and how Esau missed out and how they longed for that. But, but the, they, they said, this is your future. And they would speak it and they believed that those words would go forward and they would begin to create that future. That belief carried over into the New Testament. So in the New Testament, Paul would say it like this, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And you notice that that Greek word there for for bless is eulogio. Everybody see that? Now you just take a guess what word we get from that. Eulogize, or to eulogy or eulogize. Literally means to eulogize those who persecute you. That is you speak the blessing. It's interesting that, that that word we use as eulogy. Have you ever noticed at a funeral, nobody ever says anything bad about the person? I mean, you might be thinking, the guy's such a creep, but you, you won't say that. <laughs> you, know, you, you always speak that. Well, that, that's what you do. And he, he said, I want you to do that because words are very, very powerful. This was so woven into the theology and the culture of the ancient Jewish people that they would practice eulogizing their children, that is speaking the blessing over their children. The, the difference is they didn't wait until somebody had died. They began to speak that blessing when they were very young. And one of the things you notice, if you type in who gets the most Nobel Peace Prizes, uh, you'll find that it's the Jewish people by and large who dominate with that because that's something in their theology, it's something in their culture that you speak the blessing over your children. That's a very, very powerful parenting lesson to speak the future that you want over your children. So later in the New Testament, we are told that if somebody was to be really spiritual, to have spiritual maturity, it would be attached primarily 
uh, to their tongue what they said. So James would say it like this. James would say, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. The emphasis is on managing what it is that comes out of our mouth. That's the true sign of what it means to be spiritual. Words we find Jesus would teach are attached to our faith or our faith is attached to our words. So Jesus would say, and we saw this a few weeks ago in Matthew 17, he says, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and I want you to underline this, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Here he's not talking about praying about He's talking about saying to, speaking to. Now again, because part of the church becomes very weird about this, the other side of the church never even talks about this. But what we see is this is something that you find cover to cover in the Bible. In Luke's gospel, Jesus would say it like this there in your outline. He said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would, and you want to underline, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Again, emphasizing the words that you speak having an effect. The words are very, very powerful. So, interested so far? Okay. Um, So as our story picks up today in Mark's gospel, we're going to look at this. This is several days, days before the crucifixion. And uh, we're going to pick it up in Mark 11, verse 12, and it says, and the next day they had left Bethany, and I've underlined Bethany, and he became hungry, and seeing at a distance a fig tree, my translation says in leaf, and I've underlined that, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Uh, for it was, now my translation says it was not the season for figs. Uh, some of your translations will say it's not the time for figs, and we'll talk about that. And then verse 14, it should say, he said to it, and you want to underline that, he speaks to the tree, and he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples were listening. His disciples were listening. And I just want to highlight, this is something that he says out loud. His disciples hear that and they're going to talk about that. So it began by saying he left Bethany. So if I could, I want to go ahead and put a map on on the uh, screen. If you go to the far right of the screen, uh, you have this town of Bethany. Jesus is going to be coming into Jerusalem, coming into the temple. And uh, you've heard me say that in that time, a, a town, a village, was typically somewhere between three to five acres. These are very, very small villages. This town of Bethany is where he spends the night, but the path is going to go through this town of Bethpage. Now, Bethpage, very interesting, will be the town that he's coming into where he finds this fig tree. There in your outline, Bethpage just means the place of young figs. Uh, It can also be translated as the house of figs. But in verse 13, as he's coming in, and, and again, Bethany is only two miles outside of Jerusalem. As he's coming in, in verse 13, it says, seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find any, anything on it, and he came to it, and he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, when you read that, your first thought would be, well, of course you're not going to find anything on the tree. It's not the season for figs. 
it's, that's not what's going on. This is kind of one of those awkward translation times. I want to put a picture of the fig tree up there. One of the things that you learn about fig trees, uh, which is unique, is that fig trees sprout uh, fruit before they sprout leaves. So when you see a fig tree full of leaves, you think automatically, yes, there's going to be fruit because fig trees are unique in the sense that they sprout fruit before they sprout leaves. So when, Jesus, when it says it wasn't the time, it's not saying that it wasn't the season, like this was in the spring and they bloom in the fall or nothing like that. The fig tree harvest was only six weeks in the future. So Jesus sees leaves, and it highlights that, that he sees leaves. You would automatically think that there is figs on it. When it says it wasn't the time, what it means it wasn't the time for the harvest, which was still six weeks in the future. That tells us that you would assume that there would be figs on it because nobody's gone through at this point and harvested all the figs because they wouldn't be completely ripe. So the idea is that there should have been a great deal of fruit, but all there is is leaves. And so he speaks to the tree. Now there's a couple of ways of looking at this, and they're all right, but um, we're going to see that, first of all, one of the ways of looking at this is that when, whenever you have the fig tree in the Bible as a symbol, it always represents the nation of Israel. So there on your outline, back in Hosea, it would say, I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. And that would be interesting because Jesus says, no fruit, you know, not, nobody's ever going to eat from you again. And that would make sense because Jesus is actually walking into Jerusalem and he's going to be pronouncing judgment because this was the season for the Messiah, the Christ to come, and they've completely missed it. So, so it, it's a judgment there. And I would hold that that is true. However, we're going to find that when Jesus explains that, uh, he's not going to use that as the explanation. Another way of looking at this would be that we might apply it to you and I that, that uh, we are called to bear fruit. You get that all, all through the New Testament, all the, all the Gospels. But he comes to this tree, it has leaves, you would expect to find some fruit, but there's no fruit, so it's completely useless. So a tree that's not bearing fruit is just sucking up the nutrients, but it's not really producing any fruit. And so uh, you could say it's, it's how Jesus feels, it's, it's completely useless. So that, those are some possibilities. But also there we're going to see that that's not the explanation that Jesus gives. So go 24 hours in the future and you go to verse 20. Now in verse 20 he says, and they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look at the fig tree which you cursed. Now when he cursed it, he didn't say naughty words. He just said, may no one eat of you again. And it, because he didn't speak positively of it, that was considered um, uh, their, their version of, of cursing, very different than ours. So you, the, has withered, verse 22, and he answered saying to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Before we go any further, most of our Bibles will say have faith in God. But if you were to take a literal translation, like Young's literal translation, it doesn't say have faith in God. Notice it says there in your outline, Jesus answered, saith to them, have faith of God. Does everybody see that? Now that's important because many hold that what he's saying here is have the faith of God, have the faith like God, have the faith that comes from God. Which is, uh, you can also say have faith in God, but a literal translation would say have faith of God. Verse 23, he's going to begin to give some explanation. He says, truly I say to you, 
Whoever says to, underline says to, this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says, he says, is going to happen, it will be granted him. So whoever says to this mountain, in in the Bible one of the things that you'll find is that the, the mountain is often used as a metaphor of a, of a challenge, a problem, some insurmountable situation in somebody's life. And he says, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea. Here the issue is more speaking to than praying about. Um, talking to this situation rather than praying about it. And Jesus has just, in a few verses ago, didn't pray about the fig tree. It says he spoke to it, spoke to it. So, so far, it's not about praying about, it's about speaking to. And again, because part of the church gets weird, the other part of the church doesn't talk about it at all. Verse 24, he then goes on to say, and he says, therefore, if you haven't underlined the word therefore, underline the word therefore. How many of your Bibles, verse 24, begins with the word therefore? Okay, now that's, that's important because anytime you get a therefore, you want to ask what is it there for? And so the idea is when it says therefore, it means based upon what I just said, here's what you need to know is the idea. Verse 24, therefore I say to you all things, everything, for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. So on the one hand you have saying, believing, and here you have praying, believing. So the saying and the praying go together, but, but they're different. They're different. So I wanted to um, talk for a few minutes, and uh, you'll notice on the outline we've called this part, uh, how do I have faith that actually does something? And the reason that I've done that is because in church world, especially in our camp, one of the things that, that we can fall into if we're not careful, we can have a faith that makes us nicer and nicer people where we get better and better information, which is good. But to the parents, I would want to say there is nothing compelling to your children about teaching them to grow up to be nice people, have good information, and stay a virgin until you get married. But when your children see things happen in your life, they see God showing up. All of a sudden, that becomes exciting. It becomes vibrant. That's where they, they, it really begins to take root in their life. So I wanted to take a few moments and just talk about, talk about what it means to, to speak faith, what it means to operate in faith. You know, for, for Cheryl and I, as we were, we were talking about this when um, I was back at Calvary Fort Lauderdale and we were praying. We sensed God calling us to move to this tiny little town of Jupiter. Now, many of you weren't here back then 20 years ago, but the world ended at PGA Boulevard. There was actually a sign that said, beyond this point, there be dragons. Don't go any further. But we prayed and we just believed that God was calling us here. And so all we knew to do was to say that the Lord himself goes before us and is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We will not be afraid, we will not be discouraged. And so we launched. And God used his word to us, his, his calling to us, and the fact that we were absolutely clueless about what we were doing, because if we'd have really realized what we were doing, we'd have been like Jonah and hopped on the first boat going somewhere else, because it's been quite the journey. Now, God met us there in that first week we had 26 people at our church. 
And through the years, God has been continuing to grow. But it's been a, a, a step, a, a walk of faith. And so when we moved here, uh, as uh, we began to pray about what God wanted to do, one of the things that happened, I have a friend who is a Catholic and you know, very godly man, loves the Lord, but he comes up to me, we're talking about having babies and all that, and he looks at me and he says, Dan, let the Lord plan your family. Let the Lord plan that. And it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm speaking to you now, you let me plan that. So I said, okay, that's great. We might have two, three kids, who knows, you know? And so we, we, we began and we said, Lord, we're, you know, this is what I do. I'm a pastor, very small church at that point, and, uh, but we will trust you. And so we did. And God began to send children in our family. And one day we came to church and there was a missionary speaking at our church and he began to talk about abandoned baby girls in China. And so Cheryl and I were driving home in separate cars and the Lord spoke to me and the Lord spoke to her and he said, you have a baby girl in China, go get her. And I'll never forget that day. But we looked at what it cost to adopt a baby from China. And people, when they ask us, we say this, adopting a baby from China costs what any pregnancy would cost with complications and without insurance. And we had no idea how we were going to do that, but we knew that God had called us. And we said, God, we have no idea, but here's what we know. My God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to believe that. And then since that time, as many of you know, there have been three phone calls out of the blue, which have gone more like, hey, an attorney would call and say, "Um, there's a baby at the hospital. I was praying, thought of you. Are you guys interested? And each time the Holy Spirit spoke, we said yes. Now here's what we've learned. Wonderful. We love our adoption attorneys. You know, they're awesome, awesome, awesome. But here's the reality. The meter is always running. And so every time that we said yes, we had no idea. But we would say, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we would say, Lord, you know, we're doing this, but they got to eat. You know, you got to provide for them. And at every step, we would say, Lord, we're trusting you. We're trusting what you say over what our circumstances say. If we would have looked at our circumstances in making those decisions, we wouldn't have had any. We wouldn't have had any. You've never met anybody who says, I can afford some kids. You can't. It's a, it's a walk of faith. <laughs> can I get a witness? <laughs> I see that hand in the back. Thousands of hands going up all over the auditorium. You know, But there's so much more to say. But I want to say I am so thankful for the journey because this journey has caused us to lean on the Lord and to trust Him for things that made absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. So I want to share a few things that we've learned. We've learned. We're learning. We've gotten right. We've fallen out of the sky. We've missed it several times. When you miss it, walking in faith is a lot like learning to walk. Nobody gets it right the first time. You're going to fall down. But just like learning to walk, you you don't fall down and say, well, I can't do that. You get back up and you go and you learn and you go. That's what makes our faith exciting. God wants that for you. He wants that for you and you'll never regret that journey. So what do you do? These are just some things that I've learned. Hopefully they're helpful to you. 
I want to begin by asking, what does God say about my situation? You want to write that down. What does God say about my situation? So John, in 1 John, would write this. He'd say, and this is the confidence. Some of your Bibles, if you were to look it up, say boldness, which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. So God says that you and I, as his children, can have confidence as we go before him. And so I want to know what God says. If if God says if it's part of his will, we can have the confidence. So how do I know what, what is his will? Well, we have his will written in his word. He's given us certain promises, and he says, if you believe these, this is my will. If you're facing right now a mountain in your life, and you, I don't, I don't even know what God's will is, would you write the word promises on your connection card? Give us your email address. We'll send you a word document. There's a hundred promises that you can look at, and right now say, this is God's will for my life. And so whether my circumstances say this, I'm going to believe this. Now, a few moments ago, I talked about how it says, Jesus said, have faith in God, but a literal translation would say, have faith of God. So how do you have faith, we might say, of God? Well, Peter says it like this there in your outline. He says, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Whatever you need, he he has it, he has it. Through the true knowledge, and I would suggest that, that me, all of us, many times in our life, we've operated on knowledge about him that wasn't completely accurate. And uh, so based on the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, for by these, that's his glory and his excellence, he has granted to us his, and I've underlined, precious and magnificent promises. You want to underline that? Notice what he says. So that by them, that's his precious and magnificent promise, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You and I become partakers of the divine nature when we choose to trust what God says over our circumstance. That's where you begin to experience God showing up in our lives. So our circumstances say this, but God's word says this. And we make that decision I'm going to trust what he says. Faith is never a feeling. It's always an act of the will. You say this, I'm choosing to believe. I'm choosing to believe. I have no faith, no confidence in my word. I want to have complete confidence in what it is that he says. So the world says you just got to believe. In what? I can't believe in me. I know the truth about me. Uh, but, but the but I, here, here's what I want to have faith in. I want to have faith in what he says. And so I'm willing to bet it all based upon what he says. So it's his promise, not my word. Then after that, we purpose to say what God says before there's any evidence. Say what God says about my situation before there's any evidence. Amos would say it like this. If you've been around, you've heard this verse before. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? We agree with God when we say the same thing about our situation that God is saying. It's just called agreeing with God. God says this, you know, our situation, our circumstances say there's no way, but God says, I will supply your need. I will go before you. 
I will accomplish that. So we, we, we agree with him. I don't have a promise for a lot of things. Um, you know, I, there's not a promise in the Bible that I can look to that says, you know, I can claim a brand new Harley Davidson, you know, fat boy motorcycle, chrome, and you know, I, there's no promise for that. Now that's a good thing. If you have one, I want you to have it. But that's a very hard thing to claim, <laughs> at least for me. My wife won't let me ride motorcycles anymore, but, but the idea is there's no promise for that. But here is the promise. The promise is my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so what I've learned about God is that he is a God who will supply all of my needs. And and not only that, he's a God who cares about the details of my life. You have the story of the wedding of Cana. Jesus shows up, they run out of wine, nobody's going to get divorced over this, nobody's going to die, nothing bad's going to happen. But Jesus cared about the details of, of the situation. So he turns the water into wine. And when you look at that story, you realize not only does he care about the situations, the details of our lives, he's the God of abundance. Because he doesn't make a couple of bottles, he makes 180 gallons. It's pretty impressive. It's a lot of wine, even for some of you. So, so, so the idea is that you can claim, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He wants to do that. He's the God of abundance. So you can claim that. So the point is, I need to learn how to say what God says about my situation. The great example in the Bible is Abraham. Abraham is called the father of faith. He's the Old Testament example of what it means to be a New Testament believer. You know the story. Abraham is 99 years old, and God has promised him that he's going to have a son. And not a whole lot's going on. As a matter of fact, his wife is 90. How, she was 90, 89, right there, 89. And so, so not, not a whole lot's going on in their life, if you get the picture, and I won't be any more descriptive. But, <laughs> so God comes to Abraham. God comes to Abraham, and he says, you are going to have a son. But notice how he says it. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Underline that. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now there in your outline, you have the word Abram. That means high father. But God comes to him. He says, you're going to have a son. So now on, you're going to call yourself by your new name, which is going to be Abraham or father of a multitude, or father of many nations. There, in that little verse, I put the Hebrew word, father there is the word ab. Does everybody see that? Ab. And then of many, hamon, hamon. So you're now going to call yourself ab hamon, is actually how they they did that, ab hamon. And so, uh, so now when you call yourself Abraham, uh, we say Abraham, but in that language, Abraham didn't just mean Abraham like it's a name. It was a title. So he would say, you know, he goes to Home Depot and he's buying something, and and uh, they said, well, what's your name? He says, well, my name is Father of Many Nations. Father of Many Nations. That's my name. And they'd look on and say, gee whiz, you must have a bunch of kids, Father of Many Nations. How many kids you got? He'd say, well, 
we're, we're waiting on the first one to come anytime now. And, and you can imagine how when he said what God said about his situation, those who weren't in on the story and they found out he doesn't have a whole bunch of kids at this point, they're all thinking, they're laughing. They would laugh at him. So the question is, he had to practice saying what God said about his situation so that he could see God fulfill what it is that God said that he wanted to do. So how does a man like Abraham, when he's 99 years old, and God says, you're going to be the father of many nations, how does he maintain his faith, and how does he continue in his faith, and how does he grow his faith? Well, in the New Testament, we're going to find, go ahead and write this down, we thank God in advance for the answer. Paul would say it like this, with respect to the promise of God, he, that's Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. How did he do that? Giving glory, and that word there is doxa, underline that, to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. And here's the part you want to get. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also. It didn't benefit Abraham to have this written down because it was written after Abraham passed away. But this story was written down so that you and I could learn some things from it. And one of the things that we learned is that Abraham grew strong in his faith, trusting what God said, being fully assured by giving glory to God. And the word there is doxa. Uh, There on your outline, doxa is the word that we get, the word doxology, and it just means glory, honor, praise, or worship. There was something about Abraham praising God in this time for the answer that caused his faith to grow in a time where other people would look on and they might laugh at him for being 99 years old and going around and telling everybody that he's the father of many nations. So it caused him to grow in his faith. Now in the New Testament it says it like this. There in your outline, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. You have the promise, take the promise, you say, Lord, I'm going to believe that, and then you begin to watch with thanksgiving. That is, you begin to thank God for the answer when you don't see the answer yet. Another time it would say it like this, don't be anxious for anything, or do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and I've underlined that, present your request to God. The idea is that you continue to thank God for the answer. And what God does when you begin to thank Him is that He increases your faith. He grows your faith. Like Abraham, He grew strong in his faith. He had the promise. His circumstance said it will never happen. All he had to go on was what God said. He said, I'm going to believe that. And he began to praise God for the answer. And you and I know the rest of the story. The rest of the story. So that's how you move forward. And then there's one other thing that I think many times we can miss. And you want to write this down. We need to participate in the miracle. Participate in the miracle. And when we say participate in the miracle, and of course I've, I've run out of space there on your outline, but, but you know the stories, how many times Jesus wants, to, Jesus wants to perform a miracle, but he enlists the help of his disciples. So you, you have the feeding of the 5,000. He knows what he wants to do, 
but he has the disciples sit everybody down. Then he breaks the bread and he hands it to the disciples and he says, now you go distribute it. So everything that Jesus did in that miracle he did through the disciples. There was his part, but he wanted them to participate in the miracle. One of the ways that we say this is that as we read the Bible we see that it says that he feeds the birds of the air. But we always make the observation he does not drop the worm off at the nest. He feeds the birds of the air, but they have to go get it. They have to begin searching. They've got to go find. They've got to ask. They've got to seek. They've got to knock to find out where that answer is, where, where, where that fulfillment is. So I always want, when I'm trusting the Lord, I want to ask God, what's my part in this? Is the miracle a financial miracle that I need? That I need to say, Lord, what is it that you, you're asking me to do? Is it a health issue? Is it a relationship issue? What's my part in this miracle? Again, um, did you at least find that interesting today? There, There comes a point in all of our lives where although we're getting more and more information, we're nicer and nicer people, but we feel like in our walk with the Lord there's just, there's not an excitement. There, there's something missing. And many times what's missing is that step of faith that God's calling us to take. And we allow our circumstances and our fears to keep us from everything that God wants to do in our lives. And, and when you look at the stories in the Gospels, Jesus is continuously continuously putting his disciples in situations where they have to trust him. And they don't know how it's going to work out. But what you see is that continues to grow their faith. When it comes to faith, there's never going to be a time where you or I come to the place and we go, I'm there. This is it. There's always going to be a next step. And that's what turns your faith into something that's exciting. It's what turns your faith into something that your kids look on and say, I want that. I saw God show up in mom and dad's life. Sometimes it's to accomplish something, and sometimes, you need to hear this, it's to walk through a difficult time trusting God that somehow, some way, he's going to get you through that. And when you do that, other people look on and they say, how do you do that? And all you can say is, it's the Lord. I'm trusting his promise. And it does something in their life. You know, as a congregation, we have been a church that was founded on taking steps of faith. And uh, we're taking a step of faith as a congregation. There are steps of faith that we take as a family. There are steps of faith that we take as individuals. But for each and every one of us today, there is some step that God is calling us to take that's going to grow us in our faith. We're going to be out there a little bit. God's going to teach us that we really can trust him. Because if we can't trust him here, how in the world are we going to believe him for an eternity we've never seen? So we trust him here, and we take those steps of faith. And I can tell you that the past couple of decades have been the most incredible experience good, (laughs) bad, difficult at times, but I wouldn't miss it for the world. And I know that there's more to come, more to come. I'm glad you're here.
Glad you're part of it. You pray and see what the Lord's calling you to do. But I want to see you walk in a vibrant faith. Good information is good stuff. You need that. But taking those steps of faith and trusting God, that's where the action is. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this congregation. Thank you for your word and thank you for growing us in you. Not just growing us in good information. I pray that we always get to do that. But Lord, growing us in our trust of you to see you show up as you call us to step out. Lord, we don't want to be people who just believe in you. We want to be people who actually believe you. And Lord, as you show up in our lives, and each and every one of us knows what our particular mountain is, as we begin to say what you say about our situation, trusting your word over our circumstances, Lord, showing us what our part is, Lord, we look so forward to seeing you show up in ways that we would have never dreamed. I pray, God, that you accomplish great things through the life of this church, through the lives of families in this church, and through individuals in this church. And I pray, God, that we have the most incredible testimonies. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said... God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.